Restoration, I'm Mallory. Today in our Storyteller series, I'll be talking about wrestling with God. She'll be talking about wrestling with God. That's awesome. Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob, and I'm so glad you're here. I had a family that was not a storytelling family. So when I would ask my mom to tell me a story, she would say, uh, why don't you go get that book? And so one of the books that I used to read was this Shel Silverstein book. And there's a poem called Who that uh, I think is appropriate as we start today. And it starts with, who can kick a football from here to Afghanistan? I can. Who fought tigers in the street while all the policemen ran and hid? I did. Who will fly and have x-ray eyes and be known as a man who no bullet can kill? I will. Who can sit and tell lies all night? I might. See, when we come to church or we go to school or usually in our families, we expect people to say that it's wrong to lie, that we shouldn't cheat. And people who, who deceive others, they don't get ahead. But the fact is that we all live in a world where oftentimes people who do cheat get ahead. And people who lie get promoted. And then we go, well, I thought cheaters didn't win. But the reality is that sometimes those people are the very people that do win. And so what do we do with that? Well, today we've got a story from Scripture, and Mallory has a story that talks about this. It's a story that, that when we read it, we have to really first say to ourselves, am I thinking I have figured out the answer to the story? Because oftentimes when I read the Bible, I read what I want to hear. And maybe you do too. And when I talk to my friends or my neighbors or just random people and ask them what they think of the Bible, I often get something like this. You know, why would I read a book that's over 2,000 years old filled with irrelevant rules and stories that I don't understand? Or worse, stories that are just for kids. And we look for the moral in the story and we listen for the character quality or the attribute And we try to put it into practice, and we think that that's all there is. Except we'd be completely and utterly wrong. So we have a story from this book called Genesis. And it's a story that I'm afraid doesn't have easy answers. But I'll try and let it speak for itself. Jacob is our character. He's the twin brother of Esau. He's the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. And Jacob was away for a long time, and he starts coming back. But his brother has quite a grudge against him. So it says that that night, Jacob got up, Genesis 32:22, And he took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford at Jabbok. And then he sent, after he sent over all his possessions, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. 
But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name is no longer going to be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God or you have fought with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed the town of Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. I think the Bible still speaks, so I want to ask God to speak to us. God, we all come for different reasons and from different places today, but all around the world, Still, people gather together and they read stories like this. And they ask questions and they wonder. Sometimes we wonder if you still speak. You say that your word is living and active. And so, God, I pray that your word through your spirit right now would be living and active. Tell us what we need to hear today, God. Amen. It's a strange story. You know, in one sense, if you read uh, antiquity, you read the books and the stories of old from mythology, you go, well, this has all the same story. This has all the same marks. It's got a river god, if you will. A man wrestles with a deity. It's in the mountains. He's alone. It's in the dark. This is all good. There's a hero. There's some good action. There's kind of some suspense. And, and it's all there. And when we put that through our same filter that we often think about, or at least that I think about, that the early bird gets the worm and God helps those who help themselves, we think that in some way, this is how we should strive. This is a success story. This is what it means to win with God. And then Jacob looks like this idyllic character. Except Jacob was a less-than-ideal man. He lied quite a bit, and he deceived his family and those closest to him to get wealth and power and blessing. Why is it that so many people, I want to say even, but maybe it's especially, people that love God, why is it when they work so hard to gain the blessings of God when God simply wants to gift them to us. When you're faced with an opportunity that's a great opportunity or a challenge that is an enormously challenging task, what is your first response? Do you trust God? Do you listen? Do you rely on your own planning? 
maybe even scheming. Will you do whatever means necessary to prevail? Do you think about bending the rules or twisting the truth or being just a little bit deceptive? Especially when it's desperate. And if you do, I'm not here to make you feel guilty because unfortunately in the story, that's exactly who Jacob is. And he seems to get rewarded for it. If we're honest, God appears as a stranger in the darkness. God blesses Jacob after he lies, and, and he wrestles Jacob if it's really God, and he seems strong enough or not strong enough to win. Very, very confusing. And so today we look at the struggle of surrender. And we start with Mallory's story. Take a look. Ever since I was um, younger and ever since I could remember, I've always wanted to work in emergency medicine and the emergency service. After struggling a lot through uh, elementary, high school with asthmatic issues, I became healthy enough to go uh, to college and go to school for paramedics. Uh, There I obtained my EMT license Um, But while going through paramedic school, I was um, assaulted and just kind of lost a little piece of me there. So I decided to move forward and go to another school where I um, learned to become a firefighter. Shortly after that, I was um, offered a job at a fire department and lived at a fire department full-time in the dorm. And I thought I was at the top of my game. I was doing what I loved. I got to be an EMT. I got to be a firefighter. But through this, I started to go to church less and go to small group less and forget the people that really cared about me, especially forget what God thought of me. And um, just became somebody I didn't necessarily know who I was anymore. Um, I tried to please everybody, and I tried to find uh, my identity in who I was as a firefighter and who I was with my career versus who I was in Christ. A few months after losing my job as a firefighter, I woke up one night when the Holy Spirit prompted me to go check out YWAM, which is a youth with a mission. I ended up searching and finding a medical missionary base in New Zealand to participate. It was it's a six months program that three months you work on discipleship training and the other three months you do an outreach project in a third world country. And at that point I was so lost and hopeless that I kind of thought to myself, well, what else do I have to lose? So I went on and I applied for um, the base and I was accepted shortly after. And in July, I ended up leaving to New Zealand for six months. 
So once I arrived in New Zealand, the first week we had a service and we were all sitting in the room and the director of the school asked if there was a Mallory Vetter and I was a little nervous of what he was going to share and I raised my hand and he started speaking um, about me in a way that I was a little confused considering I had never met this guy. He started sharing um, that he heard from the Lord that this is going to be a place of rest for me after running um, from who I was back home and that um, I would find my strength and my identity in this place and that um, there would be healing and restoration, but that I needed to just surrender and um, find my rest in Christ. How would you respond if you heard what Mallory heard? This is going to be a place of rest for you if you stop running from who you are. You know, you'll find your strength and your identity in this place. And there will be healing and restoration as long as you surrender first. See, I think surrender is a struggle for all of us. Mallory was about to learn that, or so it appears in the story. But maybe you're learning that too. Maybe you have to surrender something or someone. You know it's the right answer. Trust God. Let go and let God. Give it up to God. Surrender. We even sang about it. But it's not that simple. Or at least it doesn't appear to be. Maybe you have to surrender something like an identity or an insecurity or even an arrogance. Maybe you have to surrender something with your health or your future. Maybe you're in a situation where you're being asked to surrender your integrity. Or you're being in a situation, you know you're in a situation that you need to surrender to do the right thing, even though it's going to cost you an immense amount. Maybe you're just struggling with God or someone else. See, the one thing I know about surrender is it's just hard. It's a struggle to surrender. And I think it's a struggle to surrender is because surrender feels like losing. It sounds passive, and we reject that, especially in our culture. When the stranger in the shadows in this story says, let me go for dawn is breaking, we, we look at this and we hear Jacob say, not until you bless me. Like he's got the guy in a headlock or something, and, and, and he's in control of that situation. And, and we even hear the words prevail or persist. We even hear the naming of Jacob or Israel as Jacob as Israel, as you have fought with God and you have prevailed. Now, in his winning, he does end up with a permanent limp. So, you know, that part's a little challenging. But 
But the first part of that, we read it, and that's, that's how we read into this. The next part, I mean, even Mallory's story has a little hint of this. You know, uh, I know a little more of Mallory's story. She had some health problems. So for her to say she graduated from high school and become a paramedic and become a firefighter, it was nothing short of a miracle. And we look at those things, and it's so easy for us to say, yeah, that's right. Mallory conquered. Mallory prevailed. But yet there's these little hints of something more when she says, you know, I tried paramedic. I tried firefighter and I looked at youth with a mission and I thought well why not what else do I really have to lose you know what she was saying in the midst of that she was saying I already lost everything else we immediately assume surrender means losing and it's so hard for us to overcome that think it was hard for Jacob to overcome that, which relates to the second reason why I think surrender is such a struggle. We, we want to avoid surrender. We don't want to surrender because not only does it mean losing, we think it means quitting. It just sounds like quitting. If you're a student that was an A-B student, you've always been an A-B student. I was kind of one of these students. I was an A-B student, and then I got one of my report cards, and there was a not an A or a B on that report card. So hypothetically, when you get a D plus and you're an A and B student and you have this thought, I think I'll just quit. I'll just drop the class, I'll retake it, or, you know, I'll hide my report card from my parents. Um, I'll just quit trying. Because we think surrender means quitting. It's not just losing, it's not just passive, it's not just quitting. See, the other thing, the other piece of this, the other reason it makes it so hard is because the opposite of this is also true. When we look at this story, and you know what, if we were really honest and we just look through history, there's this not so nice, not so honoring but nevertheless, relentless fact that if you're ambitious and you're a little shrewd, if you, if you know what you want and you can direct all your energies towards it and you have plenty of boldness and a very small moral compass, if you're a Jacob of the world, you're going to do pretty well. Jacob is a guy who gets a lot of what he wants. And we don't stop, especially people like me. We don't stop to read that part of the story and question it. We just kind of want to skim over that and be like, where's the moral? I know that people are looking for help for their lives. But not only is the world full of Jacobs that do pretty well. If we're honest, as this guy named Frederick Beekner says, the world is also full of Esau's. You know, Esau's who are, who are kind of prideful. They're pretty impulsive. They're not so bright. You know, they're almost asking for you to take advantage of them. 
Jacob didn't deceive his brother out of the birthright. He sold it to him for a bowl of soup. He was at the right place at the right time, and his brother was just that, you pick your word, foolish, impulsive, disregarding, that he sold it. It wasn't until later when he tricks his brother, actually deceives his father, out of the blessing that his brother changes his name to mean Jacob the deceiver. Before, it was just the one who goes and gets it. The one who grabs at the heel in in a way that would say that he's ambitious. Not in a way that would say he twists things around. Not only is the world full of Jacobs who get what they want, but they're also full of Esau's who almost let them take it. And then the world is full of Isaac's. People who are just too blind to see the truth. And even if they could see it, you know what? They're just too darn accepting of us to really be mad. Even if we deceive them. I've read the story. It's in Genesis 26, 27 through 32 and, and a little bit onward. Jacob steals dresses up as his brother, like to the extent of like even gluing hair on himself because his brother was a hairy man, putting on his clothes, trying to deceive his voice, listening to his mom who favored him because his dad has always favored his brother. And even after he does that, not only does his father bless him, his father does nothing to reprimand him. See, the world is full of Jacob's. It's full of Isaac's. And it's full of Esau's. And we want to hear, we think we should hear, you know, don't do that. That's not the right way to do it. Except, he sort of gets what he wants. And we find in life that when we start acting a certain way and it works, we usually continue acting that way. And we think for a moment, just a moment, that, that Jacob, it's like this, this thing of karma happens, and, and Jacob finds the woman of his dreams, and he goes to marry her, and yes, he has to work seven years for her, but um, he's so excited, he's so in love, he's so um, drunk with love that he uh, gets drunk with wine by his future father-in-law and doesn't notice the bride swap that happens in the honeymoon suite and ends up marrying the sister, not his true love. And we think, oh yeah, Jacob gets what he wants, except, you know, it takes 20 years, but, but after duping his father-in-law, he does end up walking away with, you know, uh, two brides, 11 kids, several servants, and thousands, if not millions of dollars in livestock. He walks away a wealthy, wealthy person. And in the ancient world, if they were hearing this story, they would immediately assume wealth equals God's blessing. So when we picked up the story, Jacob is on his way home. 
It's been 20 years of being on the run. He's had to work 14 of those, or seven years to get one wife, and then gets another wife, but has to work seven more years, and then ends up working a little bit more, and then ends up earning every bit of his dollars, every bit of these livestock, and now he's coming home. Now he's hoping that, you know, his father's long gone, his mother's gone. He's hoping that enough time has passed for his brother that he's just going to let, you know, bygones be bygones, or at least if he's not, that maybe Jacob could dupe him again because, after all, he is Esau. And we see, at least I see, in this, this striving. He brings each possession across. He even lines them up to give them as gifts and then sends his family over. And then for some reason, he waits. Maybe it's because he wants the high ground. Maybe it's because he's just trying to practice some of these striving. But again, I think it comes back to our very first question why so many believers in God strive so hard to gain God's blessing by their own efforts. Because oftentimes we think we get it by our own efforts. And that's exactly where Jacob is. Until the surprise attack, until the dark figure lunges at Jacob and they grapple and lock arms and they throw themselves down on the ground. And I have to imagine that Jacob is first going through his mind going, how did my brother get here so fast? How many people does he have next? Who's fighting me next? I mean, he is a skilled hunter, so what are my advantages here? How can I get to a place where I feel like I'm going to have the advantage? And he struggles and he wrestles and he goes and he might win at one point, but then it seems like it's back and forth in the... In the rest of the night, and minutes turn into hours, and hours creep towards dawn. And at one moment, he's trying to figure out who this person is because he's much too strong to be human, and he's much too pure to be evil. And at that moment, it looks like he is going to win. But I would say at that moment, when we hear Jacob being touched on the hip, we have to read it as it would have actually meant it. Touched at the hip to have your socket fall out? I'm sorry. Touched at the hip to the point that his leg is completely wrenched in a way that it shouldn't go. So this man is crying out in pain. And if you're a wrestler, you know that your torso and your legs are where all your power comes from. Your arms, you know, no matter how large they are or not, you're... you're Really, your momentum comes from down here, and his leg is completely torn from his body. Not literally torn from his body, but here's a man that's no longer in control. This is not Jacob in a headlock saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is a man who's been completely, completely exhausted. This is a request of a desperate desperate man. Maybe you don't believe me. You can look it up in the prophet Hosea. Hosea says it like this. Even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. He became a man and he fought with God. He wrestled with the angel and won. Oh wait, he wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. I read it in six different translations. They all say the same thing. Jacob was at the end of his rope. Jacob was pleading. This was not a man 
who was in control. Because that's where struggle really, or surrender really meets the struggle. Because we like to be in control. But Jacob is wasted. Now, maybe God wrestles Jacob because Jacob has always been a wrestler. But maybe God wrestles Jacob and only appears to be losing so that Jacob can exert every last ounce of effort so that Jacob can think for a moment that he's got the upper hand because Jacob has always thought for a moment he's had the upper hand in all of his life. And when his hip is touched, he realizes, oh dear, this is not a human being. And he is spent. See, no matter what we could say about scheming or deceiving or controlling or striving, good, bad, moral or not, they all have a cost. They leave us utterly exhausted. Jacob is exhausted. Mallory hinted at her story that she was exhausted. I know I've been in places of exhaustion, and when we don't surrender, it's only a matter of time before you and I will be exhausted. And yet, we're going to see in Mallory's story there's good news, and here there's good news that when we are exhausted of ourselves, now we can be filled with God. When we are crippled of our own self-sufficiency, now we can be successful with God. That's what Jacob learned, and I think that's what Mallory learned. Take a look. I've come here searching for you, Lord. I spent so much time running, turning my back on you, that I'm longing to be closer to you. I'm hungry for your word to fill my life and give me a newfound energy because I'm exhausted. I felt that I was not worthy of your love and I'm ashamed of some of my past. And I pray that my time here will be a time of rest and restoration. I know that this process will be difficult, but I ask that you reveal yourself to me and your plan for my future. My dream is to be your beloved and to follow your call, whatever that may be. In YWAM, their motto is to know God and to make God known. And um, I really started to know who God was by giving up and surrendering my past hurts, my past failures, and finding out that what I have done doesn't define me, um, that what I do won't define me either, but who I am in Christ is what defines me. So after the three months of discipleship training, we went on an outreach to Vanuatu, which is near Fiji in the Pacific Ocean, and for two and a half weeks we lived on the island of Tana, and there um, we had no running water, no electricity. We ended up living in just like a grass hut with a concrete cement floor. 
And there we got to live on a abandoned medical compound that we ended up kind of cleaning up and making our own. I actually wanted to do as an EMT and a firefighter was be able to deliver a baby. And um, it's funny how um, even though you give up something, the Lord gives you back something even better. And um, one night we actually got a lady coming up to our dinner table saying that there was a lady that was sick sick with a baby. And so we decided to go check her out, which she wasn't far in a hut. We brought her a little flashlight and she was extremely pregnant and about to give birth. And so we brought her back to our clinic and um, she was in labor. And at 6.30 the following morning, we um, actually got to deliver a baby. And um, just to be able to see life come into um, this world and to see God's grace um, after having such a troubled um, time back at home, that God still gives good gifts. And even though you do give up something, he'll still give you something in return that your heart is for. During the three months of discipleship training, one week we had a week on learning worship. And um, we were learning more about worship isn't just singing. Worship is um, the way you present your heart to God and just listening to him and um, sacrificing and surrendering everything, and also hearing God's voice. So while our speaker was presenting, I heard the Lord tell me to go to page 1167. Now prior to this, uh, my school director had asked me if I wanted to come back and staff at their school. And I wasn't quite sure, and I really wanted God's confirmation that I was supposed to come back. So the Lord told me to turn to page 1167. And um, I decided to turn to page 1167 in my Bible. And at page 1167, I find a tattered piece of sticky note with a bunch of different notes that I had obviously written a while back, not sure when. And um, on the sticky note, it says to try something and um, it also says that um, this is the place that God has called you. And I was kind of freaked out at that point, like, wow, I, I've never felt like I clearly heard voice, I mean, God's voice, but this time I was pretty sure that this was God's voice. Um, and this was God's confirmation saying that he wants me to go back to New Zealand to work at the same base that I'm going through school. And um, at the end of the service, um, the speaker said she had a feeling that some people would be coming back to staff at um, the school. And again, that was just a second confirmation that God's really um, teaching me how to hear his voice and um, to be confident that he does speak to us and that he is relevant nowadays, that he's not somebody that is far off, that he wants to communicate with us daily. 
and um, yeah, and he'll tell you what you need uh, if you just ask. And that's pretty much what I did. I asked the Lord um, if I should stay, and I listened, and I opened my Bible, and literally in writing it said to stay. In Psalms 42, which states, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mirror. He set my feet on solid rock and gave me a firm place to stand. As we close today, I'm bringing you back to the end of the story where Jacob hobbles away and he calls the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, it says, as he passed by the city, Peniel, convenient for remembering the story, and he was limping because of his hip. The story was so important to God's people that they make a dietary restriction out of it. It's not in the law, but to remember forever how Jacob became Israel. Dad, how'd you get your name? Mallory, how did you end up in New Zealand? Rob, how did you go from a math teacher to being a church planter? I'll tell you a story, but it's not really about me. It's not really about Mallory, and it's really not even about Jacob. Whoever he is, however he lived, God was going to get him. Because God wants all of us. And when he gets us, he wants all of us. And I imagine if you've never wrestled, that God is not going to come to you as a wrestler. But if you've never trusted, then God might come to you in a way that seems odd. But he will come because he is personal. And he will ask your name, which has nothing to do with your birth certificate, by the way. But it goes to the deepest, hardest memories. The dialogue that this man and Jacob exchange is so much more powerful than the actions that happen. And we can talk about the actions and we could close today and we could miss the transformation. It's not just the hip. Yes, the physical disability was the reminder of the spiritual victory, but the spiritual victory was the conversation. That Jacob's nature Attitude and outlook was forever changed, and yours can be too. Mallory's going to tell us what she learned in our video. But I just want to invite you to pray and ask God, what do I need to do? Who do I need to talk to? Be invited back for the prayer, to the prayer cove, and uh, after Mallory dismisses us, you're free to go. In peace, surrendered fully. Looking back over this entire experience, I learned 
so much and found so much freedom and healing in surrendering everything to God, to just give it all up and um, put it at the feet of the cross. And no matter how far I went and how dark of a place I may have been in or you may be in, um, God's always actively searching for us and he's always wanting to be there for us in our troubles and will pick us up like the lost sheep and bring us home. Um, my identity isn't in who I was or what I do or accomplish. My identity is in who God is in me and there's so much freedom when you realize that Jesus is enough for you and grace overflows from that and God is just so in love with me and I'm so in love with him that all I want to do is be able to share that and allow other people to experience God's love in new ways in listening to him in the little things